0: Hello, humans. Hello, humans. May 7th, Sunday, uh, probably around nine fifteen or so maybe in the morning, out taking a break uh, from the greenhouse cleanup and cleaning up brush and stuff and all the other crap around here. Tons of wood to move from this past winter. We're still sort of in a winter tunnel. There's a little bit of intermittent sun breaking through the clouds but it's a um clam tide day and uh we've been sitting up here barking at the um at the clam diggers down there anyway <laughs> hopefully she's done with that i think she knows she's outnumbered now the little dog i mean anyway so uh, a couple of things i wanted to talk about Um Huh. So, I had heard that uh, Simon Parks has a a um, contra- contractual agreement with, quote, the White Hats, uh, according to him, and it's referred to as an NDA, non-disclosure agreement, also a form of a contract. Uh, by Kerry Cassidy, who also says he's got one of these, and she knows him personally, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, and so it dawned on me, it's like, well, okay, I don't think he has got an NDA, and I don't think he is under any contractual agreement with, um, with, quote, the White Hats, okay? The reason I think this is because it makes no sense in our current environment that such a thing would exist. If I were to, um, if I were the White Hats and I were to bind Simon Parks to a um, NDA, to a non-disclosure and say, you know, we're going to give you some information, but you can't talk about any of this other shit that we tell you you can't talk about. Uh, and you got to sign this document. Well, hey, guys, uh, no contract is enforceable if, if both parties don't get a copy of it. Um, so uh, they won't even register such a thing as a contract in a um uh, a court so if you present so if i were the white hats and i and i find out that simon parks has violated our agreement and he's talking about um uh you know uh charlie ward's clone and we said explicitly in our nda he's not allowed to talk about charlie ward he's not allowed to talk about charlie ward's clone nor the uh, great burrito explosion that took away charlie and made him have to be replaced by a clone and so these are forbidden subjects. And we find out he's been uh, talking about these. And then it's like, okay, let's take the fucker to court. Enforce this, right? And so in order to enforce it, you would have to register that contract with the court in the process of filing that ...a complaint against Simon Parks for breaking your contractual agreement. And Simon Parks would have the right to have his own copy of that contract... ...so he could say, look, my copy has nothing in here at all saying I can't talk about Charlie Ward's clone. Um, Now, I know this... Uh, because I've been involved back in the day when I was just starting in software engineering in NDAs with the telephony industry and with the escrow industry. After the telephony industry, I never signed any. I didn't have to. I'd, I'd made enough of a reputation for solving problems that I could pretty much pick and choose work. So it was never an issue after that, right? But here's the thing. Every single one of those NDAs I got from the telephony industry, every single one, and you'd get them for... Uh, when you were granted patents also, I was on crews in, in the telephony industry where we developed shit that got patents and you'd have to sign NDAs after the patent had been granted, depending on whether or not they didn't want you to talk about it, right? But you'd always have to come back and sign another contractual agreement reassigning um, explicitly the patent and all proceeds, etc., cetera, et cetera, back to your employer. So in this case, um, and so... So I, as I say, I've been involved in that. I had copies of all the damn uh, NDAs and all the other contracts. Uh, this is just standard business. And so, if if Simon says he's under an M- NDA, uh, then he can produce it because he's been given a copy. Now, some and the NDAs will read; they can have single. Uh, page, NDAs, that basically says Simon Parks is under contractual agreement with yada, 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 and it's being signed by um, Mr. Bing Bang Boom uh, on behalf of yada, yada, yada. And all of the uh, things he's not allowed to talk about are in Exhibit A, Exhibit B, Exhibit C, Uh, and so on and so on, modified by agreement, uh, such and such, not to include paragraph four of of exhibit D any longer, that sort of thing, right? So you need not show the um, exhibit A, B, C, and D, and so on to anybody you don't don't want to. You have the the ability to show the NDA that says that you're bound and you can't talk about this under these circumstances. They they do it this way, such that people like myself uh, could do work for one company and then go do work for another company nearly simultaneously, or, or while one is winding down and another one is beginning project. I mean, coding project, tech project, etc uh such that i could say to the new employer look i can't talk about what i was doing with my old employer it involved this under these general circumstances and i'm bound for this period of time but because i had that nda that was proof that i had worked on those projects etc etc and it allowed me to uh sign another nda that explicitly excluded this stuff from the previous company uh under coverage of it And so it gets real fucking complicated, but basically it comes down to this. If Simon Park says he's got an NDA, he can produce it. If he can't produce it, then he doesn't have one. So, And all contracts are this way. He can't claim a contractual obligation that doesn't exist as a contract, all right, because then it's not enforceable. Um, You can't claim a a contractual uh, arrangement with an anonymous group. Um, there is no such thing. It's not enforceable. Therefore, it is not a contract. It's it's an illusion in your mind. Even if there's other people participating, even if there are other people making you think that it's Uh, existent and real and so on, if it's not enforceable, it's not a contract. If you can't take it to court, it's not a contract. If you can take it to court, you will have a copy of it. You could lose your copy and have all these different kinds of issues. But um, nonetheless, you will be given a copy of that contract that you signed. And you'll be given a copy that you have to sign with what's known as a wet ink signature. So, see, I don't believe that Simon Parks has a, a... An agreement with the White Hats, even if he had what's known as a one-way NDA or a limited exposure agreement, uh, NDA, then um, uh, that still has to betray the name of the other counterparty into the agreement. And so it's not likely going to be the White Hats Inc., right? Not the White Hats Incorporation, you know, this kind of thing. Uh, It would have to name an actual person that could be referenced and tracked down and so on. Otherwise, it's not an NDA. Now, there are organizations uh, that are allowed to file with a proxy, okay, such as the U.S. Navy. So if you get into an NDA with uh, some military organizations, they will be allowed to file with a proxy. But that proxy will be known as a a representative of that military organization and they will have a a legit uh even if it's a proxy name on there so you'll see names that are uh on navy patents all the yin yang you know might be on hundreds of navy patents and it's not a real person it's a proxy person from a from a corporation that was doing work for him and that this is a uh, cutout, a stand-in that the patent office allows under the circumstances because of the secrecy involved. And so we could see that. Sure, that maybe makes sense, right, if there indeed was a a white hat organization, and they were trying to protect their people, and so on. Uh, you could see that they would do, be doing that. But again, he would still have a contract. It would still have a date of signature. It would still have a, a representational number in terms of like a serial number that can be registered with a court. And it would still have a, a, a signature, a wet ink signature, um, on the part of the other party. <coughs> That could be validated, even if it was being signed as a known proxy. Um, So, like I say, I don't think he's got an NDA. Uh, You know, I think it's just yet more Charlie Ward, um, you know, Simon Parks uh, grifting kind of horseshit. Okay, so... um, Something that's not horseshit here is... um, uh, Okay, so uh, I've got these... um, EMF meters, electromagnetic uh, field meters, uh, some are what are known as trivalent, uh, some are uh, single use, uh, some are highly sophisticated and attached to uh, what's known as scoping gear um, in, the, um, in the hacking trade, right? It's sort of like um, a lot of hackers like myself are paranoid. And so you want to know, are you being spied on, right? So scoping gear allows you to check out uh, extraneous weird EMF, you know, um, uh, this kind of thing. Looking for people that might have planted bugs in your devices or, you know, your car or whatever. <coughs> or be spying on you electronically by some other means in a frequency that you wouldn't necessarily um, know to look for. Such So most people would, or you can easily find... Um, any spy gear that checks for, you know, um, you know, is your wifi being probed? That kind of thing, right? Or is your house system being hacked via this particular means? Anyway, though, so I've got some fairly sophisticated EMF meters and I was, um, checking into a, in, well, sort of related, uh, issue had a, um, EMF meter, it was checking all of our uh, radiant uh, EMF exposure in our house, just, I do this periodically usually about once a month, go through the whole house to me- just to make sure there's you know, nothing that's been planted in that sense, but also that there's nothing new in the sense of uh, electromagnetic uh, radiation exposure, right? It's good to know this shit. <coughs> anyway, um, we've got, um, uh You know, uh, some areas of uh, high fields uh, around microwaves, around computers, and so on. And uh, these three value meters attempt to express three different variants in terms of the magnetism field exposure, the elect- electrical field exposure, and then uh, the combined exposure. And it wants to do all three of these. Uh... And it provides you with a single number, usually something like millivolts all the way up through volts, ex- expressed as millivolts all the way up through volts uh, per meter. And um, uh, I've got one that's fairly fairly sensitive. You can move it from uh, the focal point of the uh, laptop screen, uh, I don't know, millimeter. And it'll, uh, it'll show that, it'll register that, Uh, drop in radiative frequency at that, uh, level. Um, very, very acute. Anyway, so I'm using some of these meters, checking some other stuff out and ran across, uh, pieces of this uh, material and, um, I had had a, and I was just checking this stuff because of the rumors about it, right? And so I had had this stuff lying around, messing with it, uh, doing all kinds of electrical things, and had intended to see if the electrical properties referenced to this were factual. And indeed they are. And here's the thing. The material is shungite, okay, which is this um, rock out of a particular area in Russia that is... um, Meteor rock, has, and it also has fullerenes in it, which is like um, carbon-60. It's it's the same material as carbon-60. It's just locked up into the rock and rigid and so on. Uh, The rock is used for water filtration. It's really good. It changes your electrical balance and all different kinds of good stuff. And there were, you know, healing frequency claims for it, this sort of thing. But one of the things I was investigating was that it appeared... Uh, From some of the descriptions of what I had come across one of the reasons I got this particular collection of shungite some time back Was that I'd read in one of Cozy Rev's experiments uh, Some of the uses that he had put the shungite to and I thought oh well, that's very interesting if you could actually do that won't go into the details of those right in this minute. Anyway, um So I'm just sitting there with a meter, and I thought, aha, let let me check this. So I had the meter all set up, and I got it set up right at the focal point of the highest level of EMF out of a laptop and one of those um, LED desk lamps overhead. And I was right at the sweet spot, so to speak, between the uh, battery of the laptop and the transformer capacitor of the the lamp, and I got a very high reading of 61. And it's in a small spot, maybe the size of the spot was like uh, uh, maybe a baseball, maybe maybe a softball, right? You'd move it around in there and you'd get in this little area and you'd get like 61 reading. And it would drop off, you know, 53, 48, so on, if you move it away. Or uh, you'd get a little bit higher, but it would fluctuate. So it got up to like 78 if you got a little bit closer to the capacitance source for the um, LED lamp. And it made a difference whether the LED lamp was... On uh, natural light or high intensity. Um, anyway, though, so uh, the cool part of this was I had a little disc, a little tiny disc, size of a, a dime, uh, a little bit thicker. Maybe it was two, you know, a, a diameter of a dime, but twice as twice as thick, like two dimes held together. And um, I just put it behind the meter, just put it between the meter and the computer, and boom! Instantly, it goes from sixty-one down to three. And it's like, holy crud! Did I accidentally get this um, little bit of Shungite in the exact spot of the uh, uh, radiative force from the computer? And no, it, I didn't. And that was the interesting part. This was something that Cozy Red had talked about. That Shungite was, um, should be considered an electromagnetic, uh, as you know, so an electric field, but also in a magnetic field, entirely separate uh, sponge. And that that it had remarkable properties that way, seeming to uh, draw away force. Now I'm going to go in and start investigating the shungite relative to just strictly magnetic fields, but I've been playing around with it with the um, uh, electric fields here the past few days. It was truly remarkable. Uh, just the computer alone, uh, if you stuck your face like uh, right over the laptop, or you had the thing sitting uh, on your lap. Uh, which I'd never do anyway, but if you did that, you'd be getting exposed at a level of like uh, this combined uh, volts over meters um, at 53. This is just a lot easier to express it with these kind of numbers rather than the actual uh, electromagnetic field numbers coming out at, you know, uh, uh, 0.0004951, you know, uh, per millimeter rising, you just don't want to get into that in a discussion with it. So anyway, so the combined number is 53 uh, volts over uh, per meter uh, exposure. Now it, what it's doing is it's taking the um, the amount of the sample at that particular point and is it expanding it with the computer as though that whole meter in which this uh, div- that, like a meter square all the way around it or meter cubed actually it's a meter cubed. Um, would be filled at that level which we know not is not the case because you can move it a little tiny bit this way and it drops right but it's projecting that for the entire um, uh, meter cubed and what it's doing is doing some math to combine these various values into this uh, overall value and it has to express it as a value uh, within a space and uh, it's just better to use the whole meter cube and project it for that Even though everybody who uses the meters knows that that's not factual, it is a uh, decent representation to deal with on these kind of quick and dirty experiments. Anyway, though, so it is consistent that any tiny amount of shungite, all the way up to big bits of shungite, and I've got some fairly large pieces here, uh, instantly reduces the EMF reaching the meter uh, down to a small fraction. And uh, there is some little tiny bit of correlation to the size of the shungite uh, and the level of reduction. And none of it would, um, uh, so basically, no matter what size piece I used, I would instantly drop down from 53 volts per meter down to one or less. Um, anywhere the shungite was placed between the uh, meter and the source. Um, didn't matter where it was, and it didn't matter the size. Now, um, if you got some of the bigger pieces in there, you could get it down to like, uh, you know, 0.75 and 0.5 and so on, um, volts per meter, uh, being expressed. Uh, but basically, all of it was would drop it from 53 down to one or less. Uh, remarkable. And, and even this little thing that was a diameter of a dime, and this little piece, and... Um, uh, twice the thickness of a dime, would also reduce it down to one. It would hold it at like maybe point nine, you know, or, or 9.8, something like that. So it was doing a really good job as well. So this is an interesting aspect of this that it didn't matter much. You could see the cone uh, by using, moving the shungite around. You could um, imagine, so to speak, the cone of radiation coming out of the screen of the computer as well as the battery and the operating area, the chip and so on. And you could move it around in there and determine when you were in that cone by just shifting this a few millimeters and see where the radiative patterns were. And as soon as the shungite entered into the um, effective cone of focus, uh, the whole thing would just drop from 53 down into below one. It was quite remarkable indeed. And so Cozy Rev's description of shungite being a uh, radiative sponge uh, really is accurate. Um... Very interesting as well. So now, uh, just because, hey, this is really interesting news, uh, what I've started doing is just wearing a small shungite medallion. Thus, if I'm exposed to uh, radiation, especially anything excessive, uh, I have on me a protective source that will suck it up, hopefully, faster and better than me. And so I won't have any radiative damage from the stuff. Uh, It's really interesting. It works to some degree with just straight radio waves as well. It'll actually sort of heat up in the presence of radio waves. I haven't gotten to that experiment. That was just something that I was reading in one of the Cozy Rev books I'd gotten recently. Uh, Anyway, so EMF and um, Shungite. So if I owned an electric vehicle, uh, I'd have some kind of like mat of Shungite that I would sit on. Um, that would protect my NADS and up through my back, right up through my kidneys and the other, uh, uh, soft organs that are, um, sort of exposed to the, to the irradiation, to the radiative field of the EMF, uh, up through the seats and so on. And just, just as a precaution, probably I would also <laughs> have a sheet of this stuff to drape over my lap, um in other sensitive areas like the heart just to prevent the emf exposure but you know uh i doubt people will really take a a much um heat of that however uh it looks like we're at peak electric vehicles right we're not at peak electric vehicle production but we sure seem to have hit peak electric vehicle um buying uh it may be the economic aspects of things but um It may also not be the economic aspect, because when you look into the surveys that are being done on uh, current EV owners that are in the process of purchasing a new new vehicle, uh, 90-plus percent of them are not buying electric. They're buying, um, uh, what do they call them now, ICE, uh, you know, internal combustion engines, right? uh because they can't deal with the problems that the electrics are causing and around here in in washington state we've got some severe issues so there was um, a tesla that ran out of juice over here in one of our little local bergs and they had to um hire a tow truck to haul it 77 miles back to olympia uh to get a charge because there was no charging facility that was uh, available or operating or something. There's one in Aberdeen. I don't I don't know why it wouldn't work for them or if it was full. Actually, I think there's two in Aberdeen now. One over by the Walmart and um, one over by the buses and the bank there. But in any event, though they um, uh, they ended up having to haul it all the way back to Olympia. Uh, so an expensive tow just to get a charge. Uh, anyway, though. So and we've <laughs> we've heard horror stories out here about. Um, a volvo electric vehicle electric car smaller electric car uh that was uh, purchased and used out here and and these fuckers are heavy right and that heaviness is not spread out over uh a bigger area with wider tires the way you might spread the heaviness of a pickup truck out right so it's 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 more distributed so there's not as much um weight concentrated on uh individual small square foot um or small footprint tires anyway this poor um uh uh electric vehicle volvo car was driven out into some sand and we're just at that point now where we're getting dry sand as well as the wet sand um and you know they knew enough to avoid the dry sand but they didn't understand the nature of tidal action and um the wet sand out there so they thought you know we'll drive on the wet sand it's nice and it's hard and so on and which it was and they drove out on it uh they parked uh, apparently uh some distance from the tide but they didn't recognize that it was coming in and of course the tide comes in but a lot of that water action is uh under the sand and not seen so the sand will actually soften up uh, maybe five six seven feet ahead of the actual uh tide edge of the surf And so you, you know, when you start seeing the surf seven to 10 feet away from your car, it's already too late. The sand underneath that car is already softened. And I've had to haul a bunch of people out here, not electric vehicles, just tourists, you know, uh, city it's they're called, uh, who did exactly that. You know, had a little tiny car packed full of stuff and people on uh, little tiny tires uh, you know, it's a city car, right? It's intended to have high gas mileage and not cost you a lot for storage, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but it's a uh, it packs all of its uh, weight onto a um, uh, very small frame, and those sink into the sand pretty quick. Uh, they also have issues when you're trying to pull them out because if you're not, it's all. Uh, geez, it's really terrible. I don't know what the hell that. It was a smart car of some kind, right? One of those little bubble kind of cars, and they got stuck down here, and I was using my. um this was back when I had the FJ Cruiser, and I was—I just had a tow package, you know, big nylon strap, couple inches wide. I think it's three inches wide. Hooks on each end, all of that. We were trying to get all this guy out of the sand before the surf got him, and it was—it was getting close. Uh, and even in—you know—when uh, in your car, your re- gear, reverse gear, except an electric, is the uh, most powerful. And even putting in reverse, he wasn't able to dig his way out. He just kept digging himself further into the wet sand. Uh, but we, uh, our big problem was all of the metal underneath that you would normally would uh, hook to, like, um, you know, the axle components, the housing around wow. the axles, this sort of thing, were all uh, pressed uh, bent metal. They weren't forged or um, welded. And it's like, holy shit, if I pull him too hard, I'm going to literally rip that. With my, my FJ Cruiser, I could have literally ripped, it, ripped the um, axle right off of the vehicle. So eventually we found a way to do it. It was a pain in the ass. Got him out. You know, big learning experience um, for both of us. But anyway, though, so uh, the thing about the electric vehicle is that we have peaked the sales in California, Oregon, and Washington. There's some suggestion that sales peaked last month in uh, Western Canada. And they're, they're dropping now. The drop is somewhat precipitous. It was noticeable at the level of, of 4% drop in sales on the West Coast over a course of a week. Um, it was a leading indicator in the sense that it was ahead of the SVB bank failure. So uh, I've got a friend of mine who's watching uh, electric vehicle sales in the very intense areas in Britain and in Europe. And they're cratering as well. They're really seriously crashing. So there's some kind of a response or, or snapback or um, backlash to this and or that's as many as they're ever going to be able to sell. The people just don't want them. Personally, I can't drive in them. Uh, you know, our bastard communist fucker uh, Inslee here wants everybody to, they're going to only register electric cars, they say, after 2030. And that's fine, but I won't be able to ride in the things. And, you know, like in Lincoln, California, they're trying to get um, uh, trucks, forbidden diesel trucks and stuff. And so they're only going to use, supposedly going to use electric trucks to haul um, things into cities. And it's like, well, that's not going to work out so well uh, in terms of uh, there's only about uh, less, than than, uh, less than half of 1% of the trucking fleet uh, nationwide is electric. And those are extremely unreliable. They're in the shop more often than they're out running. It's just not a technology whose time has come. And we, you know, we can't afford to do it anyway. It's a stupid thing to do for these climate crazies. Anyway, so I gotta go. I gotta get my baguettes in the oven. So I gotta go preheat. Um, Gotta go rescue the dog from barking at the tourists to the south (laughs) of us. Anyway, guys, take care. And get some shungite if you're worried about emf exposure truly is remarkable stuff i'm going to keep investigating it and detail some of their properties um so uh cozy rev investigated shungite i haven't really extensively i haven't gotten into those chapters yet and he also did uh water uh, relative to time stuff and how um uh uh, and its active properties, so the active properties of time um, uh, and how they could be stored or dealt with, etc. So uh, quite interesting indeed, but also the electromagnetic aspect of it is a sponge, totally unexpected. So apparently even the smallest one, so the smallest one I had for the largest field was, as I say, that um, a double thickness dime out of Shungite, uh, and the size of the field was uh, the size of a beach ball. And it was sucking up everything. Uh, Anywhere I put the meter relative to that, it was just within that area. It it would just uh, uh, eliminate, basically eliminate the EMF reaching the meter. Quite interesting indeed. Okay, uh, you know, (laughs) more later. All right, dog, hang on.